0: Um, to the Mindful on Purpose podcast. I am Christina Blackburn. I am the founder of Speranza Human Compassion Project, where we do research and um, development around domestic violence interventions. I also am the founder of Vanguard Medicine, that's a tech healthcare technology, where we essentially take uh, the courses and research that we do under Speranza, We plug it into a technology and we are able to then um, service many hospitals, clinics, and universities through the technology. Uh, Today, we have um, Enid uh, Acosio on with us, who is with the NYPD, but she also has many community projects that she's working on. So I would like to welcome Enid. Thank you so much for being with us today. And I'm gonna take a little moment and ask you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background, like where you come, where you're um, you originate from, and then how you a little bit about how you got into this line of work.
1: Sure. So yes, thank you for having me. My name is Enid Ocasio. I am employed at the NYPD Domestic Violence Unit. However, as uh, Christina has mentioned, I do a lot of community um, advocacy work um, and I just partner up and collaborate with a lot of different non-for-profit private agencies um, and even city agencies and to just be able to aid, assist and help in any way possible, especially in the realm of domestic violence. So, I have been employed for 29 years now with the New York City Police Department. It's been a very long time. It's come a long way, <laughs> but we still have a whole lot way to go. Um, but again, it's been it's been great. I I can't say. Um, that I have not learned, that I have not grown, um, because I have. I've always had this service for people, to service people. And so um, what better place than the New York City Police Department, right? So my background, I am born and reared here in, I'm a a city girl, as I tell people, right? I'm a city girl, I I don't do the nature stuff, no mountain climbing, no hiking. (laughs) You know, I love my Big Apple. Um, So I was reared in Brooklyn, Williamsburg, between Williamsburg and the Lower East Side. So at the tips of, you know, either side of the Williamsburg Bridge. Uh, My parents lived in the Williamsburg area. My grandparents lived in the Lower East Side. So I had um, the opportunity to to experience both sides of the bridge. And um, I unfortunately did endure a fire um, when my children were younger. So I was left homeless. And um, although I lived, you know, I was staying with my mom, I ended up staying with her for six months, but um, I was eagerly seeking for my own space because I had my own children. I was married by then, um, which divorced. I was raising two children by myself. um, And I ended up getting housing in the Lower East Side. So familiar grounds, I reared my children in the Lower East Side, and uh, it also made it easier for me to get to work because I worked right, uh, my first precinct was right in the Lower East Side. So most of my uh, uh, community service has been in that area as well. So I know, although you know, it has gentrified a whole lot, but there is still a lot that, there's a lot of work to be done everywhere. You know, but um, that's where my heart is. Williamsburg, the East Side, and then the rest of the five boroughs come in, <laughs> right? Wow. And um, <clears throat> I started this work, like I said, I've I've always been a service person. I've always loved, you know, it's one of the things that my parents always showed me. My mother was a business owner. My grandparents, you know, they had their own little side gigs aside from their, you know, full time jobs. So it's something that I also picked up, you know, so aside from working with the NYPD, I have things that I do on the side. Um, I always tell people, you know, if if you need to be employed, I can employ you, you know, (laughs) you can work from home and, you know, you can, you can do many of things. So with that, I want to say I used to be an Avon representative. So therefore I afforded that opportunity to others. Now I'm in a health and wellness organization. So I afford the opportunity for others And so, you know, that's what I mean about I can employ you, meaning that you can also work from home. But the servicing for victims of domestic violence also came from an experience that I had. And I felt that, you know what, um, and at the time working in law enforcement and still being a victim was something that I was like, okay, this there's something wrong here, right? And so I ended up you know, fortunately, my circumstance was much more, I was able to get out, you know, I was able to get out in a very smooth and transitional manner. But I too had this frame of thinking of, I'm not a victim. There's no physical, there is no, you know, there's none of that aspect. Um, but what I wasn't realizing is that the emotional and the psychological is is much worse, you know, and not that I wanna take away from the physical, but it's just, you know, when you deal with someone's mentality and their emotions, it's much harder to take them out of that, you know, to bring them back up because their self-esteem, their self-worth, their self-being has been stripped from them. So that that's how I then became um, interested in wanting to help others. During that time, I don't know if I'm taking too much time, but during that time, I was working with employment law, the Equal Employment Opportunity Unit at the NYPD. 2004, domestic violence, the victims of domestic violence, sex offenses, and stalking became a protected class. That's when I said, this is my opportunity. This is where now I can utilize what I know about domestic violence and um How I may be able to help others who may be in, you know, in in the need of assistance to whatever the reason may be, either to leave the circumstance to recognize, a lot of times people don't recognize, um, or just to know how to deal with the circumstances for the moment, till they're able to dismiss themselves from the, um, whatever type of, you know, form of abuse they were dealing with. Mm -hmm. So, Because of that, I then pushed for wanting to work with the Domestic Violence Unit. Mm -hmm. Um, And eventually, 2014, that was um, allowed for me to to do. And so I came into the Domestic Violence Unit already with the um, facilitational experience from employment law. And so I just incorporated the DV aspect of it. And because of course, with the employment realm, you know, you can't be treated, it's law, right? EEOC law indicates that as a victim of domestic violence, sex offenses and stalking, you cannot be treated disparately against. So therefore an employment decision cannot be made due to your status as a victim. Um, And so the same thing goes for housing. You know, you cannot be uh, turned away from housing because of, or at that point, you know, maybe if you're dwelling in a specific location, you can't be evicted because of the status of your um, victimization of domestic violence. So that's where then everything, you know, like it, I move forward into doing that. In my teachings, in my facilitating and conducting workshops, is where then I met other people, I met other city agencies. You know, people from other city agencies, I met the non for profit mostly Safe Horizon, Sanctuary for Families, and VIP. Those were the the main three that I was always in contact with. But um, with that, I was just afforded the opportunity to be able to learn more. So I went and I took upon myself to get, you know, certified in, like, human trafficking, um, strangulation, stalking, all um, avenues of domestic violence, um, intimate partner violence, what's the coercive behavior, how do we identify, so in in with that I just want to say that I, I just I delved into it even more and so I partnered up with other people, collaborated with other people, and then from the contacts that I had from working in employment law, I called people up and I was like okay you know what I'm also now doing this Is it something that you would see a need for in your area of um, wherever it is, employment, uh, facilities? So, and and I tend to get called a lot from schools for teen dating violence, which I also, yeah. So, so yeah, so that's a little bit, (laughs) a little bit about me. (laughs) Well, it's so
0: great because you, I mean, okay, it's not great, but From a survivor standpoint, you have an understanding from both sides, right? So you understand how it feels to be someone who's in those shoes, um, as someone struggling, trying to get out of a relationship and in crisis. But you also have delved in and, and trained yourself and now understand the other aspect. Well, also, you understand the aspect from the police force, right? Um, like what responders experience when they're trying to respond to these situations and they might not be so educated as you yourself, they might not understand what's happening with victims. Um, and so sometimes they do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing or respond in the wrong way. Um, but also as that advocate person for the victim and maybe even the responder, you so you kind of see like almost a 360 view, right? Yeah of what it um victims experience so that's that's really great that's awesome um so uh with your work that you're currently doing what do you hope to accomplish like what is your ultimate goal with with all the things that you've learned for yourself in the work that you're doing with the NYPD and then the community service work you're doing
1: okay so first and foremost continuing to build Relationship with the community. Um, for even if even with people that are not so much victims, but who may know of someone who is, because at least they may be able to, you know, the victim themselves, I can tell you this: 80% of the time the victim themselves doesn't sort for the for the resource. But there is that near and dear person to them that will. And so building relationship with community is one of my biggest things, because if I tell one person and that one person shares it with someone else, I have I feel like I've done my job. You know? um, the other aspect of it is also that I, I want to be able to create a safe space for an individual who may be going through something, and so therefore build relationship with them, make them feel And that's kind of hard to do because right, everybody is different, but sort of like giving, give them that sense of security that I'm not here to harm you in any way, form or fashion. I'm here to help you in any way that I can. I may not be able to do it physically, me, myself, but with me, you know, driving you to a a medical center or taking you into a shelter because you didn't have anywhere to go or, you know, taking you to an advocacy group so that they may be able to do, you know, case management with you and things of that nature. Um, Therefore, you know, just aiding and abetting in whatever the circumstance may be for them to be able to feel safe. That's the hardest part to do.
0: Enid, how many of you are there because you can't service the whole city so I don't I'm like we need like 150 units out there it's amazing
1: yeah so we do have um and and of course now I'm talking on the realm of the department right of law enforcement we do have domestic violence officers in every precinct including the police service areas which are the housing police um So therefore we do have 77 units along with the nine police service areas that can range anywhere from, and this is just thrown out numbers from four to 500 people, men and women who service victims of domestic violence in all categories, meaning child abuse, elder abuse, intimate partner violence, and anything in between, right? Excuse me. And, um, So I do get a lot of assistance from them because I may not be able to make it somewhere, but, you know, somebody calls me from Brooklyn South or Brooklyn North and they'll say, you know, I'm having this circumstance or I haven't heard from my sister in a long time. And I'll call up, you know, my colleagues and say, listen, I had this call or whatever. Can you just go take a look and see what's going on? Or, you know, what a complaint came in and, um, somebody was left out as a witness on the report. You know, Can we go back and go take a statement from that victim or that witness? You know, So again, I do have assistance from the police, from my colleagues in specific areas. Now, when I'm doing this on my own, now I'm relying on those collaborating and partnering agents such as the non-for-profit groups, clergy, store owners, Um, because again, I am I'm bringing everybody, we're all, I'm trying to get back to the mentality of, um, it takes a village, right. We've sort of moved away from that. Everybody was me, me, me. It's all my, my, mine. And we can't do it on our own. So we do have to get the services and the assistance from others. So there are circumstances where cops will call me, you know, and they'll say, listen, we can't get through to this person. They don't want to speak to cops for whatever reasons. Everybody has their reasons, you know, but because although I am in law enforcement, I am not a uniform officer. I'm a civilian on the job. So therefore, sometimes people feel more freely to speak with me. And I and again, part of that creating the safe space. Right. Because we want to make them feel comfortable enough that they're going to disclose what's going on, how are they feeling, what do they want for us to do, or what have they done that now they feel trapped and so we'll find solutions for the individual. So at this very moment, I am the only community person in the domestic violence unit. Um, COVID has really put a damp on a lot of things, including the, the hiring, and the uh, transferring into different positions and things. Um, we've actually lost a lot of our detectives, police officers, and sergeants. We're about to lose a couple of more sergeants, which is a good thing due to promotion, but we're about to lose a couple of more people. you know. So we're still looking to fill spots um, in our unit. But as far as community-related work in the realm of domestic violence, yeah, I'm it. <laughs> I had somebody the other day ask me, they were like, oh, are you going to go do this training? And I was like, yeah, you know, I'll be there. And they were like, well, they're having this other training. Is that you? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I do them too. And they were like, well, what do you not do? And I'm like, I do it all. (laughs)
0: You know. You're only one person. Oh my gosh! Yes, <laughs> yes, it's amazing. But when I hear you talk, I know that um, you know I, I'm a I'm a survivor, and I've talked about it many times on the podcast. Um, but if I had someone like you there talking to me, I think I would feel like more comfortable, like talking. It's a certain way that you have to approach someone who's recently been victimized. They're very, very afraid, right? Right. And they're afraid of their abuser that's still probably stalking them or looking for them or whatever. But then they're afraid to talk to other people because they don't know who's a safe person, like you said. And so somebody like yourself comes off as very um, just confident and sure of yourself. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Almost like a mothering, you know, that I think a lot of times victims need at that moment to know that somebody is supporting me, somebody understands, and somebody actually cares what happens to me. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of times first responders, when they interact with victims, they don't know either, right? So they come off very nervous, they're very timid themselves. And so then that just makes the victim shy away because it's like, okay, well, you don't know what you're doing, so I'm not gonna disclose what's happening to you because you could put me in further danger, you know? So it's almost like we have to train them to come across confidently. And then, you know, the victim will probably go with them or do whatever they're telling them to do. But if you come off like, well, I don't really know. Well, do you have someone to call? Well, maybe we can do this, you know, the person's gonna shy away.
1: Yeah. So absolutely.
0: Yeah. So I I, I love this conversation. I'm so I'm so excited that you're here. Um <laughs> so uh can you share with us maybe a story of a time when you had like a challenge where you wanted maybe a victim to leave or you were trying to get them to safety and you weren't able to? And then let's talk about a time where maybe you were able to help a survivor or a victim. Um, and then what, what was the differences in the challenges? Because I think a lot of our doctors and nurses, they're like, oh, you should just leave, you know? And they don't understand some of the challenges that are behind behind the scenes for um, victims. Uh, right. So then they feel frustrated, right? Because then they're like, well, I tried to talk to her and she said she didn't wanna leave, so whatever. They throw their hands up. But then there are times where you might talk to the person, you might think that they're not listening, but they really are. And then they do make those steps, right? Necessary to get themselves and their children possibly to safety. So I wanted to to hear, I know you see a lot, I know you see a lot in one day. So I just want to know, talk a little bit about stories and actual stories that happened, no names or anything like that, but you know, just general.
1: Right. Um, So I would say the, the, I had a a case where um, there was a lady that contacted, she was referred to me by someone actually and um, she was a city employee, her husband retired law enforcement. And, you know, at the time that I started to speak with her, she was still home. She didn't feel any threat. She had been dealing with it for 32 years. That's how long they had been married. So, um, and and this is what sometimes I, I have to let officers know as well. You gotta realize you've got to realize that sometimes the individual knows how to handle the circumstance, the situation, because they've been in it for so long. So they know how to de-escalate their own circumstance, right? Um, they know how to just sort of push away, stay away, give that offender time to cool off, like, because, they're, because they know them. They've been dealing with it for so long, right? Which is sometimes what officers do not understand. They were like, "Oh no, but I can't." Why would they stay there? Mm. We got to work on their um, safety first of all. Their knowledge. We want to know how much they know about the offender, and if we're gonna go in there bruntly, like, what do they do? What do they have? Or do they have guns? Do they get? And you go in they're not going to talk. They're going to shut down because now you're being too, you're prying too much. And they are already embarrassed of the circumstances. Right. So they're not going to want to disclose. So in this case, um, again, I was, she was referred to me by another, um, agency. I spoke with her. She was like, I'm fine. You know, everything's good. You know, there were times where our conversations do get heated and, you know, um, but, you know, for the moment, I'm fine and whatever. And I said, OK, what an individual needs to know is that somebody is there. Mm-hmm. And that's all I really afford an individual is them knowing that whenever you're ready, I'm here. Right. You need to talk. You need to t- text. You need to, a cup of coffee. What? I'm here. But, you know, it's on your time. We have to remember that we have to work on their time because they're not always ready. And like I stated, 32 years of dealing with that, of, of being within it. And I'm not even going to say dealing. It was already part of living for her, right? So I didn't want to disturb anything. And, and something that I always tell people too is, when you're ready, you know you're ready. And only the victim will know when they're ready, right? We can say, no, you're ready. Oh, no, you got to do the. No, the victim has to be ready. And if they're not ready, you can talk to them to your face is blue. If they're not ready, they're not ready. Moving, you know, fast forwarding it a couple of months later. Now she's a bit concerned um, because now he's on medication due to a lot of body aches that he's getting and things of that nature, of course, from the time that he was on the force. You know, it's it's catching up with him now. So now he's being he's medicated, but he's also um, he's also adding alcohol to it. So alcohol medication, no bueno. Right. So therefore he's now like in her face, he's being more aggressive towards her. Um, they have a child, the child is away in college. So they're not, you know, the child doesn't see much of what's happening behind closed doors with them. So, you know, she's becoming a bit more worried because things are progressing in his demeanor in his aggression. Whereas before they will argue and it was at a distance or whatever, now it's on face, you know, like face, face. And so that was a bit worrisome for her. And so I was like, okay, so, and again, we need to, for them, we need for victims to give us the solutions because who better than the victim to tell us what's going on and how they feel and what would be a resolution, right? So. Is part of the questioning. Okay, so how can I help you? What can I do? Oh well, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to get him in trouble. Mm, okay, but tell me what you would want me to do. Um, well, for the moment, I just, you know, I I need to work on me. Okay, whenever you need to speak, you could text me, email me, call me. Don't ever think about whether it's two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock, or whatever. I answer my phone. It rings, I will answer it. You need to speak, I will be there. Um, And so that happened for a couple of um, more months that passed by. I got another call. It's progressing. So now it's not only in your face, now weapons are being taken out. So now here is my concern because you are retired law enforcement and you have weapons in the home and you are on drugs, although they are prescribed, but you're also on alcohol, and so now I'm like, okay. We need to, we need to let other people know. Oh well, I don't want to know. And okay, again, we have to work on the victim's pace, right? So eventually, I did make the um, the connection for the for the young lady. Oh, she wasn't middle aged lady to go and speak to someone. Um, at the Family Justice Center, because she was also seeking for a divorce. Uh, Like she had had it. And so I said, okay, that would be the best way because they'll take the case. They can, you know, if there's any uh, counseling, you know, because we wanna be able to remedy the circumstance. We really don't want people to split up, but you know, unfortunately that's the route it will take. But again, you know, get, get resources from the Family Justice Center. She felt like she was being pried too much. You know, like they were, they were, they were questioning too much and it was like they were pressuring her. And um, so she called me back and she was like, I don't think this is gonna work, da, da, da. Long story short, she ended up getting a lawyer. Um, the lawyer, you know, did give her the, the information that she needed to be able to proceed with divorce. However, she was still in the home. We're trying to strategize how to get her out of the house. Um, She ended up going to a funeral in another state. He happened to appear at the funeral. Um, Right, so now we're like, so, and I said, okay, but this is good because we wanna know the, the length of, you know, like what he's gonna do. How far is he gonna go? This is not bad, you know? And she was like, what do you mean? I said, no because we have details. We'll know what his next step, or we, we can sort of think of what he can do or what he's willing to do. Um, so it just so happens her mom is going through dementia, lives in another state. We were in COVID, so we were working from home. So that was perfect for her because she was still working, but she had the excuse that she had to go take care of her mom that was her way out of the dwelling um although he was going to the dwelling a lot you know he would appear like every sunday bring coffee bring in the newspaper things and whatever and i was like okay this is still good we are getting what the actions will be right it's not a bad thing people will say well, like oh no that's bad. no 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 because He's showing us what length of, you know, like what he's going to do, how far he will go to continue that power and control. And moving forward, I hadn't heard from her in a very long time. You know, I, I check in with all of my victims, um, it, it, you know, depending on the severities of it, it'll be weekly, it could be monthly, it could be quarterly, it could be, you know, every six months, depending on the severities there was like three months that went by and I would text and I didn't get any answer. Um, and I would phone and I didn't get any answer. So now I, that was worrisome to me. Um, but you know, sometimes we just gotta leave it to the higher power. (laughs) And I was like, okay. Um, I did reach out to someone without disclosing, without disclosing what the matter was, but the person ended up knowing the husband remember he was on the job and he was only retired maybe like 2 years so he still had connections and that was the other concern that i had that he still had connections so if if there was a domestic incident report filled out he could have had a hand on that if there was you know and he could have had a hand on that so we i was able to I was able to tend to her matter without filling out any paperwork, except for making the referral to the family justice center to get the attorneys. Uh, I'm sorry to get um, counsel to proceed with the divorce, um, which she ended up having to go private because they, you know, they they wanted to do her. They wanted to do things that she wasn't comfortable with, um, and so at this very moment, she's got her own space um, in a different borough. She actually got transferred from the, she's still working in the same, uh, with the same employer at a different location. Um, so I, you know, I constantly keep telling her, don't tell anybody where you are, what you're doing, how you're going about. Sometimes we just, we just can't, we can't tell anybody what our plans are, what we're doing, where we're going, where we came from, none of that. Right. Um, not so much for yourself, not so much for them, but for yourself, right? Not so much for outsiders, but more for yourself. Why? Because the aggressor is going to inquire, right? So remember, I said he was going to the mom's house every Sunday, bringing the newspaper and a cup of coffee because he cared. Do we really believe he cared? No, he wanted to gather information. So that's why we say if you don't tell anybody, then nobody will know. So when they say I don't know, they truly don't know because you didn't tell anybody. Um, and so that's you know so that to me was a um, a successful um, safety planning because I we were very cautious on keeping her safe while safely planning for her exit. And it just so happened. I mean, her mom does have dementia. That's the unfortunate thing, but that she did, she is the caregiver, you know, legally she is the caregiver. So that was the exit. So that was the opportunity. That was the most, as I would say, the most opportune time. Right. And, um, but in the same token, she was able to get her own, um, apartment, which she does. Oh, this is what I was getting. She also got transferred from the location that she was but she also got a promotion at her job so um you know she was very grateful and and still actually just last week I just checked in on her and she was like everything is beautiful very limited communication with you know with with the still husband because it's going to take a long time because they had property. To, it's 32 years, <laughs> you know, so and and he's not letting down. He still wants it to work. So uh, and I understand because, you know, they still want it to work. But, you know, it's not working. So but she's safe in a different location. She's you know, she's got economics, which is good because many of times that is what stumbles. You know, that, that's what stumps an individual. Um, Child, Children, which is only one child, is grown, has her own space. So that's one less worry, right? And um, she was able to transition. She did endure some other um, health issues and things, which, you know, we've been able, together, been able to, you know, navigate that as well. But um, that was the most, that one I found the most difficult because we had to do it with no assistance from law enforcement. And only because the worry was that then he would find out. Right. Because he was in, in, in um specialized units. <laughs> right. So we wow. and and we didn't want to apprise like you know, the Internal Affairs Bureau, because then he would be apprised. Mm-hmm. So there are some times where you gotta do things very strategically. And this is where a lot of times people don't understand. Well, no, we got to move quicker. No, we got to move smarter. And we got to let time work with us, basically. And so that was one of the jobs that I was really, and I'm still, you know, because I still check up and see that everything is going well. And it is, which is gratifying.
0: Yeah, that's a great story. So what about like times when you aren't able to, help in such a strategic manner. What do you think is the difference? Um, So do you have like one story that you can share about a time when you weren't successful with helping and like kind of how did you feel, but then how do you, you know, what's the the steps that you go through when you can't help? And then there's
1: that frustration. Um, Well, still in all, still trying to be there for the individual. But getting that pushback, no, 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 I'm fine. No, 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 I'll get through this. This, I'll, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. I know better. Yeah, and again, we have to give them the assurance that, yes, we do know that you know better. Because, again, I always say, no one knows their situation better than the victim, right? Um, so there was a case that I was working on, and still to this very day, the person has not left. The person is still enduring Um, down, this one was, um, okay, this one was a difficult, it was an elderly person, but we couldn't really treat it as an elderly um, uh, case, like an elder abuse, because she kept allowing the daughter, it was the daughter to come back, you know? Um, And the daughter was very disrespectful in the home, Uh, Like they like, you know, she would do her business on herself and all over the house. And, you know, so it was like I was trying to get other city agencies to aid in the process. And they were like, you know, she doesn't fit the category because there are specific categories that, you know, for them to be able to render the aid. And I was like, okay, And then the person did have an aid. Um, so I was like, okay, so that's already there. We can't provide it cause it's we already have it. Um, and it came to the point where the officers that were tending to the case, like really had to be strong with her, you know, like if you keep letting her in, this is going to keep happening. So this is your fault. And, you know, and I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm like you don't want to say this is her fault. But you do want to just keep reminding her that this is going to be continuing as long as you continue to allow them to come in, because you know it's not her fault that you know the daughter wants to defecate on herself, and it's not her fault. But you know she was being facetious, she was being you know combative, she was being defiant. Um, ultimately, I think how we did it was because the daughter was old enough. Um, we we got. We got someone to service, Um, it was a local shelter in the area, but for individuals with um, mental illnesses. And so they did the evaluation. She actually fit the category of a good candidate. And so we were able to, you know, transition her to there. However, she kept leaving there and going back to mama's house. Um, Still doing it. this present day. So I'm like, okay, I've spoken to mom and I said, mom, you know, like, because we can't keep badgering them because that's not going to help. Because what's actually happening now is the mom does not want to speak to the cops. Now, every time the cops go do the home visits and whatever, doesn't want to open the door, speaks to them from behind the door, you know, Um, I was able to speak to her over the phone. I didn't get to go to the property, but I was able to speak to her over the phone. She did answer my, you know, she answered my call, which was a good thing. And I, you know, again, and she was like, well, at least you, you know, you're not screaming at me. I can't focus. And I'm like, I understand. I said, but do you realize that they're doing it for your good? You know, this, we're really seeking for your best interest. And again, and it's some of the words and there are some times where I get a little, you know, um, as my mother would call me, spicy. <laughs> but with the same thing, I would say, you do understand why I'm doing this, right? Because I need you to understand that we're really working for you, and we're looking to get you into the better um, situation. So, with that case, is some it's, it's a case that we're still working on, and and it's it's been now it's almost going on eight months now. And, um, and again, it's that back and forth.
0: How do you know the categories? Like, how would someone know whether I fit one category or I fit another category in these situations? Like you said, they don't fit the category. Is there like public knowledge of that? Like, well, if this is happening, then it means this. But if it's not, this is not happening, then it can't be considered domestic violence. You know what I mean? Right, so in
1: this case, the mother is not is not incapacitated in the sense where like, she hasn't lost memory, you know, no dementia, no Alzheimer's, no um, incapacity of movement, meaning like that she can't walk around and, you know, do for herself because she is, she's very vigilant. She's very mobile. She's, you know, still has her two senses, as I would say, right? So she doesn't, for this agency to be able to help, one of those things have to be lacking. And there's nothing lacking there. And basically, it's just that, you know, this is her child. And she doesn't want to see her child suffer. And although her child is a grown person, a whole grown person, um, yes, that has mental illness circumstances, but you still have to, you, I always tell, um, especially parents, when I speak to them, I said, you know what, you do your children more of a disservice when you hover over them then when you do a service to them and again as i always tell people i don't share anything with you that i have not done myself or endured myself okay when my children were being were growing up i protected them from everything and everyone right they were my babies those were my two boys they were strong (laughs) they kept me they kept me on my toes but you know what if anybody and any mother would feel this way, right? You come for my children, it's on. And, but I feel now, now in this stage in age, I said, you know what? I, I should have let them go through stuff, you know? And, and I think, and that's why I think I can relate with this mom. But I think that now it's a bit, now it's a bit out of hand because now you have almost 70 year old and a 30 and a half you know um who's who's still who's still seeking to be baby and no you you are your own grown self now and i think mom has to also get stronger on you know what no you can't come here no you can't do this you can't keep disrespecting me you know so these are the things that we continue to counsel her on that you know you're not being you're you're not dismissing your child you're not Um, this is showing care, this is showing love. By you doing that, you actually are letting them know that you do care and that you do love them. And because remember, you're not gonna last them always. So now when you're not here, that person cannot do that with anybody else. They will get arrested. They will get put in jail. Oh no, that's not what we want. Exactly. So that's why we prefer for you to do it than for having an outside person do it and so again a lot of people don't understand that and so that's what we need to keep reminding her so even though we're still dealing with the circumstance it's something that we just keep have we just you just have to keep speaking to the individual and I said and like I said earlier it's on their time we can't push them to do it because it's only going to revert back
0: so I have a question so we have about five more minutes left um the cycle, the cycle. Do you often see many people over and over? Cause we know, I mean, we've looked at the numbers and in New York, it could be anywhere from 700 to a thousand people calling 911 a day for domestic abuse. But are those repeat calls like where people are, where you're seeing the same people kind of consistently or how is that for yourself?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of times, I mean, Even when the cops are picking up on the jobs, they're already like, oh, back, you know, this is, and and I'll just throw out names, this is Mary and Joseph are at it again, you know, let's see what's happening tonight, or let's see what's going on now. Um, Now, if there's a different officer that is responding in that sector, that's all new to them, because they don't know who these people are, right? But the cycle, um, we see that a lot, right? Why do we see people repeat same things over and over again, right? I always say it's because there is a need that they have not been able to accomplish, gather, or achieve, right? So, and that can be anywhere from finding somewhere to go. If you have children, you know that's the most difficult thing to do. Right. Because if you have children, you don't want to bring your children to somebody else's home and disturb their life and whatever. Although many people are very welcoming but you know, you feel you feel uncomfortable if you don't have the finances. Where are you going? Everywhere we go, we gotta pay. Right. Um, And just, you know, other, especially if the children are in school, you don't want to remove them from the school, you know, you don't want to take them from their environment because that also causes that, you know, that that's another form of trauma that you're causing aside of the trauma that they already probably are enduring in the home, you know, under the circumstances. So yeah, the cycle of violence can, yeah, we'll see it a a lot with repetitive calls um, some of the officers, because they're responding to these calls, already are familiar with the with the matter, um, so much so that when they come in, they're just counseling because they already know the people. Come on, dude, you know that she doesn't like you know when, when you throw the beans on the wall, you know, like they <laughs> they already know, so they're counseling on that aspect. Um, but again, it it just if we don't feel the need. An individual is going to feel trapped. They're going to feel like I can't. Well, I can't go because where am I going? I don't have any money. How am I going to pay for this? Um, you know, it, it, my especially now, right? We're we're going into spring. Uh, what is it? They having the, the state exams and stuff. You you don't want to disrupt that. You know, for the child, because then there's the failing, and you know we see that a lot as well in DV cases where the child is struggling in school because you know a lot of the stuff that is happening. So that's another reason as to why. But um um, I also say that love factor is real, right? When you love, you love, and you care, and you want to resolve your differences. Um, maybe the offender doesn't want as much, but you do because there is emotions that are tied there. So letting the person know that um, you can love that individual, but you need to love yourself more. You can love that individual, but you just can't be under the same roof, right? Yeah, you love that individual and you can love yourself from a distance a lot of times they're not explained these things. They need, they, they feel like, no, if I started here, this is where I'm supposed to finish. And, you know, and then religion plays a lot into decision-making. Cultural beliefs play a lot into decision-making. Um, and I'm gonna do quotes, parental guidance <laughs> plays a lot into decisions. Right, um, and so that's where we'll see the cycle of violence, you know, because again, there's a need, and we need to fulfill the need. If if the if the need is not met, they're gonna stay where they are because it's what they know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. basically. Okay, this has been
0: amazing. I appreciate your time and speaking with us, Enid. This was wonderful. Thank you for sharing your stories. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for being that champion out there. Um, This is amazing. I appreciate you. And how can people find you if they have questions or are you able to be, like, how does that work? Can you share a little bit about that? Oh yeah,
1: I give everybody my number. I don't have a problem with that. Right. So I always say the best way to communicate with me is either through text or email, because I am always out. If I'm not create, if I'm not conducting a workshop, I'm having, you know, a conferral or, but I will always respond back to text and to emails sometimes, you know, calls. Yeah. But if I'm, if I don't answer, leave a message because I will get back to you. It's only because I'm working with someone or doing something. Um, or like a day like today that it was hectic, I forgot my phone at home. <laughs> and so I just kept thinking like, OMG, OMG, who's calling? <laughs> who's trying to reach out? Who's, and I don't have it, but but mostly text. And um, so my phone number, 917-209-3533. You can also find me, I'm sorry, you can also email me. First name, Enid, E-N-I-D dot Ocasio, O-C-A-S-I-O, at NYPD.org. Um, I do have social media. Uh, I have an Instagram that I do post a lot of events that are happening. If there's uh, if there's somebody that's hiring, if there are virtual meetings that are occurring or whatever, you can find me on Instagram, Avon2009, hence I can employ. <laughs> right? So um, those are ways that you can find me either Instagram, Avon 2009, phone number, email, text. Awesome. Thank you so much,
0: Enid, for being with us this evening and um,
1: um, appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.